Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On July 21st, eight storytellers shared their stories with our virtual audience. Our theme for the evening was road trip. We heard stories about teenage shenanigans, traveling in beat-up clunker automobiles, and sidekicks with the names like Fry, Fish, and Foot. In the end, we had a tie. Our first winning storyteller was Steph Holmes, who shared the story of a trip that helped her find her passion and path in life. Here's Steph. So 19-year-old me was walking back to my car in the parking lot of Cracker Barrel. My face was covered in poison ivy rashes, thanks to a hike I took the day before. But I used those rashes as a great excuse to getting out of work early that day. In my back seat, I had a duffel bag with four days worth of clothing, a toolbox with an assortment of art materials and drawing pencils, as well as about nine pages of MapQuest directions dog-eared together. I began my 10-hour road trip uh, still shocked at the recommendation letter my mentor had written to me. Even though I'd been very open with her about the hurdles I faced at home as I was commuting to college from home, it was still pretty alarming to hear those issues reflected back to me in her letter. She had written Penland School of Crafts, um, asking them to grant me a scholarship to attend a bookmaking workshop in order to, and in her words, grant me a safe space to make artwork away from oppressive obligations. That caring for my family had been a responsibility I'd taken up for years and it kept me from growing and from pursuing my own opportunities. Wow, that sounded so harsh to me in that moment. Had I just been belly aching to her this whole time and had I disrespected my family in the process? I remember just mulling over that guilt as my car drove up onto the highway. No, even though my life felt normal at the time, I was beginning to realize that maybe it wasn't so normal. Back home, I faced a mountain of month-old dirty dishes, food rotting in pots and pans, an ocean of dirty laundry lying stagnant around the washer and dryer, and three fully capable people in that household that I felt so desperate to take care of because they wouldn't take care of themselves. But I'll tell you that no amount of chore charts, pep talks, begging or screaming is enough to shake someone else out of their own depression. So instead, every day I threw myself into trying to clean that exponential mess, which is an impossible task. So my world just really didn't extend past the walls of that house because I didn't possess the energy to dream of anything else for myself. So there I was, also driving down Route 95 with all four windows wide open. I remember feeling the wind and the calamine lotion on my face and it made my poison ivy rashes feel so much better. My music was blaring. I can still feel that huge smile slowly bloom across my face. And suddenly it was as if I could see myself from above, a tiny minuscule dot driving down the coast of the continent like a zipper dragging that old comfort zone behind me like it never mattered in the first place. I could have gotten in my car and driven away at any time. It was that easy. My heart was flooded with relief, gratitude, some guilt, freedom. Needless to say, that 10-hour drive just flew by for me. 
So my destination, Penland School of Crafts, is tucked away in the Green Mountains of North Carolina. It was there that I learned that I love to learn how to make new things. I also learned that I need to take more than four days worth of clothing for a two-week trip. But if I make that same silly mistake again, I know that I can always wash my clothes in the sink if I absolutely have to. I was taught how to make handmade books, how to make precise cuts in paper, how to bind a tunnel book with waxed thread, how to tell stories. I also was taught how to mix a Long Island iced tea out of the contents of a mini fridge. But most importantly, I learned that there was nothing more exciting than being an artist and a craftsperson. I had really found my people. One of the women in my class pointed out to the group, watch Stephanie, she never stops smiling. She even smiles while she's washing the dishes. And she was right. So eventually that two weeks did come to an end. I said my tearful goodbyes, I carefully packed up the delicate books I had made, and I headed back to my car. I'm happy to report that that zipper did not close up behind me as I headed back to Pennsylvania. And in fact, it was thanks to that very caring mentor who sent me on this road trip that I learned that I was growing into a big person and that there was more than enough room to stretch my legs out. Thank you for listening to my story. Steph earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our second winner for the evening was Jamie Beth Cohen, who shared her story of the time she and her brother were in danger on a road trip. Uh, so growing up, I spent a lot of my time trying to impress my only sibling, my older brother. He was so cool, he sort of dipped into that space where danger lives. In the 1980s, he was listening to New Wave and wearing all black. In the 1990s, he was throwing raves and doing drugs. And in the late 1990s, he was on my couch getting clean. Growing up, we had fought a lot, and it really pained my mom to watch us go at it. But time and space and maturity and email uh, helped us forge a, a, an adult or mature relationship in our early 20s. Um, but watching him get clean was harrowing, and walking with him on his journey of sobriety was probably the most intense thing I had done at 22. But about 10 years later, we were on the side of a mountain, and I almost killed him. So he was living in San Francisco, and I was living in LA. I had just moved there, bought a new car, hopped in it, drove up the coast, and we were going to spend the night with a woman who had babysat us when we were kids. And we did just that. We woke up the next morning. My brother had to chase the only addiction he had left, coffee, and the car needed gas, and everyone else was asleep. So I said, well, we'll go. Well, I'll get gas. You'll get coffee. We'll just, we have to drive over to the next town because where we are is too small and nothing's open yet. Get in the car. We haven't been driving very long when there's a turnoff and a sign that says Mount Shasta, elevation 17,419 feet. And my older brother says, turn there. And I was like, Dad, you don't want some coffee first? I mean, the, we need gas. And he was a professional photographer. And he said, I don't want to miss this light. And I was like, right. Ever the younger sister, 
always looking to impress and appease. I was like, yeah, 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 okay. Turn the car. And before I know it, the paved road turns into a dirt road, turns into nothing more than a path, and we are too far gone. There is no way to U-turn. There is no way to K-turn. We're on the side of a mountain. To my left is a sheer cliff up, and I'm like inches from it. And to my right is my brother, and then a sheer cliff down. We have no map, we have no GPS, we have no smartphones, we have no gas, we have no food, we have no water. What do we do? So as I see it, we keep driving and hope that the road opens up or there's a turnoff or something, or we reverse back down a mountain. Now, we could have left the car. We could have gotten out. We could have walked, but I had no idea how far we had come. We didn't know where we were. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know this area. So I thought, here we go. We're going to reverse, which I have to tell you is my least favorite thing to do in a car ever since driving a stick shift. Okay. So I, you know, look over my shoulder. I'm thinking I can't do it that way. I'm looking in my rear view and all I'm seeing is my mother. I'm going to kill us. I'm picturing my mother having lost both of her children because I can't figure out how to get us out of this situation. But what are you going to do, right? So over my shoulder, no, I don't like that. Okay, looking in the rear view, I don't really like that. I'm hearing the stones were dislodging, tumbling off the cliff. So then I see, ah, I might be able to reverse K-turn. Seems like we've been doing this for hours. It was probably five minutes. I might be able to reverse three-point on that part of the road. So my brother, he gets out of the car. He says, he seems really calm, which is not like him, especially not before coffee, stone cold sober for 10 years. And uh, he seems really calm. So I feel like it's my duty to remain calm. And he's like, I'm going to get out of the car. Like, we'll do this. And so he's like being my second set of eyes. And he's like, go back. Go, no, oh, okay, no, okay, a little, uh, go back a little bit more, but slower. And I'm like, eh. Uh-huh, 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 yep, a little bit. And at this point, I'm thinking, well, at least if I go off the cliff, my mom still has him, so it's fine. I end up turning the car around, we drive back down, we skip the coffee, we get the gas, we go back to our old babysitter's house, and we're telling everyone this story, and like, no one gets it. They're like, yeah, you're fine. And we're like, no, that was really scary. And no, 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 you're fine. I was like, mm they don't seem to understand that I was holding my brother's life in my hands for the second time. And then someone asked to see the pictures he took. And he was like, yeah, I didn't take any. And that's when I realized he had been as scared as I had been. Thank you. Jamie Beth also earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Paul Armstrong. Paul remembered his own coming-of-age story from his senior year of high school. 
senior year 1976 all boys school we had read all the coming of age stories so we knew it was time for us to come of age so ron and i said let's go to myrtle beach only about 11 hours away from our home in delaware what could go wrong we enlist keith and pat our friends who then had to spend three months convincing their moms to let them to go but we're on our way so easter sunday we're packing up the car and easter monday we're getting the final things in cramming them in you know that camping stove didn't quite fit because a 68 firebird is not designed for four guys to go camping but we got it in and we're on our way we're ready to become men we're already making our first manly decision we're going to buy gas in maryland because it's a little cheaper so we buy gas and after we pull out of the station get on 95 we hear this we're like what's that so we pull into the first rest stop we look at the back rear tire we had a little too much load on that firebird because the wheel well was burning the back tire. It's melting. We said, eh, well, let's just fill up the tank halfway each time because it doesn't rub then. So that's what we do. That adds a little time to our trip. We also decided to teach two of the four of us how to drive a clutch on the way down. That seemed okay. You only have to get the third gear and then you're on 95. There's nothing else to do, right? That didn't work so well in the parking lot in Virginia where Keith, when he jolted the car, knocked the battery out of the battery tray. But we got it back in. So we're a little behind schedule. We're coming into North Carolina. We're still a couple hours out. And I remember, 76, no GPS, no phones, no map. Well, there are maps, but we didn't probably know how to read them. So we're on an off-road, and as I turn on the headlights, this loud screeching sound occurs. I'm not quite sure what it is. We can smell something burning, so we pull off into a classic North Carolina gas station, motel, somewhat shop, I don't know. And the owner's giving us a squint guy because he figures we're stuck there for the night. And I'm looking under the hood, under the smoke, and trying to figure out what's wrong. And this tall, lanky guy comes up to the four of us. He goes, hey, what's wrong? And we're like, well, we're not sure. And he says, well, why don't you start the engine? I said, can't get started. And actually, the battery said at this point. So we turn it over, and it's pretty obvious. He says, you know, your alternator's frozen. I was like, yeah, it sure is. Because we can see the belt going around. The alternator's not going around. That's what's smoking it. So he said, man, you can't trust the people from these parts. And we're looking at him like, you sure sound like you're from these parts. So he said, man, you don't want to trust him because that guy hit by his brother owns a motel. It's probably his brother's a sheriff who's going to arrest you if you don't stay there. So we're looking at what little money we have. We can't afford to stay there anyway. So he's telling you what, I'll say you the one off my boat. So I look at his boat. It's a cigarette boat. It's a GM engine. Hey, GM, I got a GM. What could go wrong? So we buy the alternator off the boat, stick it in with a rusty pair of pliers, and off we go after a jump start. We're a little late, so it's pitch black as we're pulling into Myrtle Beach Campground. We pull in, oh, finally, guy at the gate says, uh, we're full. I'm like, oh, well, we'll wait till morning. He says, no, we're full all week. We're like, uh-oh. Well, what do we do? He says, you can go 20 miles down the road to Huntington Beach. We're like, oh, we had picked Myrtle Beach. That's where all the parties were going on, man. We were about to become men. Maybe it's at Huntington Beach. So we go. It's black. It's dark. Matter of fact, the only sign we can see when we pull in says, please don't feed the alligators. We're not sure where we're pitching our tent. We're hoping it's not where they feed the alligators. The week goes pretty good, and, and we're doing well. As a matter of fact, about the only family there happened to have four daughters, who on average were our age, so we thought we had done pretty well. We leave, and on the way home, we realize we're a little tired. We realize two of the four haven't learned how to drive the clutch. So I'm driving most of the way home, and, and things are going pretty well, except for that rest stop in Virginia where the car stalled out. And two 17-year-old 
boys, men, whatever, are pushing the car on the acceleration ramp and then jumping in the car as we accelerate on I-95. That's how you jumpstart a 68 Firebird in that time. So on the way home, I'm getting pretty tired. I had never driven for 10 hours before and I'm beaten. And somewhere around Washington, D.C. or Maryland, I'm saying, you know, God, if you get us home safe, I'll get on my knees and say a long prayer of thanks if we get us home safe. Well, we did get home safe. We left out the major parts of the story when we told our parents how great it was, of course. And I kept my promise. And I got down on my knees and I thank God for that road trip that made us men. I'm not sure, but my mom passed that room a couple hours later. And when she looked in that room, she didn't see a 17-year-old man at all. She saw a 17-year-old boy who had fallen asleep on his knees, exhausted from the road trip. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and watch videos of all of the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. Big thanks to our 2020 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.